I'm delighted to welcome to the show today Kenny. Kenny is a co-founder of Millicent Labs, who recently won the G20 Tech Sprint 2023, run by the Bank of International Settlements and Reserve Bank of India. Welcome, Kenny. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, fantastic to be here. I mean, awesome on the award, but the whole point today is to start off and go back to a tough moment. So wh- when are we going back to? Uh, we're going back to May 2022 when we were really struggling to raise investment because a lot of people were caught up in this crypto narrative that you could get 20% interest on your money. And our thesis was the opposite of that. And it was wow. tough. Okay. So you're, so what I'm hearing is you're, it, it was definitely a good time for crypto, but you were coming, you, you were losing out people that were just promising something that you, you didn't, you didn't think was feasible. Yeah. Um, our thesis as a company is we want to build at the intersection of traditional finance and digital currency. And we think that the, the structure of the current system and the consumer safeguards are good things, but that the technology behind uh, you know, blockchain is great and has a lot of promise to, to make a lot of people's lives better and make the whole system run more smoothly. And we were talking about regulatory compliance long before it was cool. And um, mm. there was a particular protocol at the time um, Terra, the the Luna and the UST tokens, and uh, they had a, a another protocol called Anchor that would pay you twenty percent interest on your your dollars. And wow. every investor that we spoke to said, "Well, what you're trying to do is very boring, and that's <laughs> that's that's old school, and nobody wants that. We're in this new world where I can get twenty percent on my dollars, and it was tough for us to swallow because." I think we heard it so many times that I almost started believing it, even though we founded the company on on a different <laughs> premise. Uh, and it, it, this went on for for a number of months, and then eventually, at the beginning of of, of twenty twenty two, uh, May twenty twenty two, Terra crashed, and twenty billion dollars in stable coins uh, were wiped out, as well as uh, the protocol's own token, which was, I think, forty billion dollars worth, so almost sixty billion dollars worth of value wiped out overnight in something that looks a lot like a Ponzi scheme. And the founder of that protocol has now been arrested. Uh, he, he fled and was on the run and in hiding, and they caught him in Montenegro. And when this blow-up happened, you know, it was really validating. And I was almost, you know, happy in a kind of Schadenfreude, sour grapes kind of mm. way, slightly ashamed to say it. But uh, it didn't last very long because it really set back the entire industry. That, that must be so. So it feels like so you, you've been fighting this battle for a year, around tr- trying to get traction for something that is that you believe in is solving something is based in kind of what was being called old school, but in reality was like real world f- fundamentals. And you're losing out time and time again to this 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 pipe dreams kind of new new thinking was basically fantasy. How how did you keep keep going? It was tough. We did a number of investor calls and and got knocked back. And you know, we'd go to industry events and people would be like, "Oh, what do you do?" And you're like, "Oh, well, you know, we make plumbing for existential financing institutions like banks, etc." They'd be like, "Oh, banks, disgusting!" And uh, it was, you know, you read the kind of Peter Thiel books, and it's like you need to be the contrarian. And within the blockchain industry, advocating for I guess what you would call traditional sensibilities is is the contrarian move, <laughs> and um, yeah, we got a lot of um, a lot of pushback for that, 
and it um, it was tough. But you know, we we got some validation along the way from from kind of traditional people, but uh, not as much as we would have liked, and um, we didn't really have the funding to push ahead as, as strongly as we would have liked either. Mm. But having a supportive partner and co-founder who, who we can really share these tough times with helped a lot because uh, you hear you hear no and you hear you're wrong enough times mm. and it starts to, to hit you. So it sounds like you actually put quite a good support network around you during that period in terms of you had a good, good supportive co-founder. You went out and thought, found support from like a coach. What made you aware enough to, to do that, do you think? I definitely would not have done that if it wasn't for my wife. She put me in touch with the, the right person and because mm. she had done this training herself, knew the value of it. I, to be perfectly honest, before having done it, would have said, it's nonsense, I don't need it, you know, I'll, I'll get through this myself, etc. And I think the person I am today versus the person I was when I started this this journey are two very different people. And I better understand how important mental health is and taking care of yourself and how vital the support network is. We kind of laugh that you're on this startup roller coaster where within the same day you can feel like you're king of the world or you've hit rock bottom. But that is the reality of it. And you need some kind of a safety net for when things go wrong. And Mm. it's easy to feel like your startup is the only thing that you have in the world. And I think it's it's almost natural to feel that way because to, to make it, you, you have to be laser focused and you have to put in the hours and you have to put in the dedication. And it, it does eat into the other parts of your life, but you do need to make some balance and, and find time to prioritize other things just to recharge your own batteries or to, to get outside of the bubble where you keep going over and over the same ideas in your head outside mm. perspective and support goes a long way is, is there anything else that you, you you either did or do to get outside that bubble um well our business got started uh, moved from the idea phase to the we're actually building something phase when we got uh, grant funding from um, innovate uk and uh, we got our grant on the first of june 2021 and my daughter was born on the 6th of June, 2021. <laughs> so I had a new business and my first child at the exact same time, which uh, meant not very much sleep in the early days. But uh, as my daughter grew up, I always made sure to, to carve out some time to, to hang out with her. Uh, and she's a lot of fun. And that's probably the highlight. And when I, my brain shuts off and I can be present is mm. when, I'm with, when I'm with her. It's just right, just pausing because it just really resonates with me in terms of I mean a lot of things that you're saying like I first as well like so that blocking that certain blocks of family time and trying to separate the two and it actually becomes I think it does become easier once you have a child whereas mm. pre it's like it can feel like work is everything yeah especially with you know smartphones which are obviously great for a lot of reasons but you're always connected and. Slack is always going to ding and WhatsApp's always going to ding and there's always people that you can email. There's always things that you could be doing. It's a bottomless pile of work. And you can't think that 
you're going to be able to get to the bottom of it by just doing it nonstop because new things will come up or you need to prioritize what's the most important. And sometimes that's your family and, and your mental health. And it will make you, it will make you deliver better for your business if you take care of yourself at least a little bit. Yeah, it's something I talk to my clients about is this idea that we're kind of conned into thinking the answer is how can we work smarter and like how can we be more efficient? Because actually early, earlier in our career, that is the question. It's kind of like we start work and it's like we get our first job and we're given like a discrete task list and actually we've got to figure out how to do it faster. And then you get a bit more senior and it's like, okay, me and my team, we've got to kind of do this discrete list a bit quicker or better or faster. And then the trouble is that you take that mentality when you become a founder and actually your task list is infinite. Like you could like Exactly. You, you could you could you could fill up your week five hundred times over just with just the new ideas you have in your head. And so actually we we're still sort of trying to oh, how can I how can I do this quicker? And actually it's not the right question. The question is how can I do less? Exactly. It's how can you eliminate the noise and do the highest most impactful thing at all times and eliminate all of the noise and all of the distractions. And some of those distractions, like you said, the new ideas, they will pull you down a path where you waste a lot of time or effort or money trying to do something that's not part of your core mission, that's not super impactful, that's not going to move the dial because it's easy to have mockingbird syndrome and want to add one more feature or see someone else's shiny business do well in Sifted or TechCrunch and be like, oh, we could add a little bit of that to our product and Mm. staying focused and staying on mission. I think even going back to the original moment that we talked about, it is the staying focused and staying on mission that got us through that and through what came after that with the, the whole FTX thing. Perhaps we go back to that story then in terms of, of the transition. So you have this have this moment of kind of kind of validation where everything that you were saying came to pass. It's like but you still so you you lost when it was up. You lost, we lost when everyone was like focused on it as a good thing, but it sounds like you then lost when everyone focused on it as a, realized it was a bad thing. Uh, yeah, pretty much. It was, <laughs> uh, it was kind of a lose-lose for us because people didn't buy into our traditional approach beforehand. And then when it became apparent that you know, the emperor had no clothes, a lot of people lost a lot of money and got very scared uh, about deploying their money because what looked like it was a great idea wasn't, and a lot of people got gun-shy. So there wasn't very much investment going on in, in crypto for a while. and We decided to, at that point, to, to hold off raising money. Uh, we, we did take in a bit of money from some angels um, to you know allow us to expand the team a bit and, and, and crack on with what we needed to do, but we said we'd hold off on the institutional round for a few months. Then... Uh, a man by the name of Sam Bankman-Fried started going to Washington and really being a proponent of regulated crypto and crypto as a force for good. And you know, we're watching this and thinking, this, this is great. This guy is saying all the right things. People are buying into this. He's, he's getting the lawmakers on his side. This is perfect. We should really think about doing our institutional round now. And then, of course, once again, the emperor had no clothes. And that meant that a lot of people viewed crypto with a well, crypto blockchain. I, I, yeah, I don't even know if crypto is the right word for what we do or if the word crypto now has such a stigma around it, <laughs> it should be avoided at all costs. But essentially, when uh, FTX came crashing down, 
everybody was skeptical about the industry. Mm. And even the most, as we were, you know, we, we, um, we joined an accelerator with, with Barclays around this time. Uh, we, we had government funding. Um, we're, we're working in the FCA's Innovation Pathways program. And so we're trying to tick all the right boxes and be the, the upstanding citizens. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait, you're trying a little bit too, too much to be regulated. And, you know, what's really going on there? And it's, again, was just kind of a, a bit of a catch-22 for us. But the industry took another turn for the South. And that one, I think, we took a bit more in stride than we did with, with the Terra stuff. And given that part of a big part of what we're doing is um, trying to tokenize commercial bank money, and then uh, the start of the year, uh, you had all the bank runs in America and the SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, collapse. You know, that again touched us and almost didn't even hit the side. So it was another thing that should have phased us probably a lot more than it did. But we're just on mission now and building our product. And um, I think that the narrative is starting to catch up with us a lot more now with um, a speech that, uh, that um, John Cunliffe at the Bank of England gave not too long ago and a speech from uh, the GM of the Bank for International Settlements. They've, they've both talked about this idea of having a, a unified ledger and I mean, basically talking about what we've been building for, for quite a while. And that is a very validating feeling. Um, to finally have the narrative go from being something that you don't believe in and you have conviction in the opposite of, but the global consensus or the the industry consensus is that you're wrong and they're right. And now that is pivoting to actually traditional finance moving on chain is likely and it's going to be very valuable. And there's a specific way to do it that looks quite good. And that happens to be the specific way that we've chosen to do it. So seeing these figures publicly make big speeches like this has been incredibly validating and yeah, helped us um, achieve some of the things that uh, we set out to achieve. So today then, so we, we talked to the top show about you just won this award from uh, one's competition. And there's quite a few other good things happening around the business as well, aren't there? In terms of joining the accelerator and where what is so where are you guys today then where 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 does the story find you um so yeah one of the uh the big high street banks um recommended us for uh the law firm Allen and Overy the magic circle law firm um they've got uh, an incubator program called fuse uh which is very well respected and um has been traditionally for legal tech and this year they asked their clients which company in the digital asset space do you think is going to be the most transformative for your business in the future? Very flatteringly, they said us, and this is you know one of the world's the, the UK's biggest banks. So that was uh, very flattering that we got nominated, and then we were surprised uh, to have to have been chosen. I'm happily surprised. So we're now a member of this incubator alongside the likes of Chinalysis, who are a massive. Uh, company raised their series f i think you know half a billion in funding working with the fbi the doj the, the sec they they're a huge company and and um Komainu, who are backed by nomura one of the world's biggest uh, securities firms so we're in esteemed com- 
company here and it's uh, feel a little bit like we're punching above our weight to be honest <laughs> it's, it's amazing it's, it's like such when I mean, you say it's, it's such a quick turnaround and even from that point you're still kicked twice <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it, when when i just said that out loud i realized you know it's only been just over a year but it felt like a lot longer while i was living it in retrospect it it's not that long but every day dealing with that stress is tough mm. just despite all the things you put around you like you said a supportive wife supportive co-founder a coach yeah i think we spoke about this uh the, the last time we, we met about how being a founder is a lot like my uh, old hobby ski mountaineering you know kind of walking and climbing and hiking up of a mountain for six hours eight hours to to ski down for two minutes and it's those two minutes of skiing down where or where you get the photos that go on social media and what, what we call type two fun. It's, it's not very fun while you're doing it, but it's fun to tell the story. <laughs> and I guess, you know, this is the, the two minutes of skiing down is talking about the journey with you, but it's, it's all the things that we put on, on our LinkedIn's, which is important and are valid because you do have wins along the way as well, but it's, it, it's a harder undertaking than many people realize from the outside looking in. If you mm. just see a picture of someone holding up their marathon medal with a smile, you're not realizing that at mile 19, they were thinking, I should give up. My legs are going to collapse. I don't care that much. I want to go home. Mm. But I can guarantee you that most people who have run a marathon have probably had those thoughts. I'm, I'm going to guess much fewer people have climbed up a mountain and skied down at the run a marathon. <laughs> I've uh, run you, a marathon. I'm, not, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't climb up a mountain and ski down it. <laughs> But would you equate running a marathon with, with being a founder? Does that resonate 100%, with you? 100%. So much of it is around the post, as you say. Like, it's, a longer, it's a longer process than, than you would think about before doing it. I think a lot of people wouldn't even start doing it because they're just too freaked out by the idea of it. There's a lot of glamour around it, which, which sort of the reality of like chafe nipples and sort of needing to find a place to go to the loo before it starts. Everyone's like peeing in bushes everywhere. I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> there's so much people don't see until you actually do it. <laughs> you need to run a marathon to truly, truly know what I'm talking about. That just it's 100%. And also, like, if, if, you, if you sprint out a marathon, I mean, you're never going to finish it. Like, if you, if, you, if, you, if you try and take it like a 100-meter race, you're going to be, you're not going to make mile 26. Yeah. Um, and also, I think that the... For me, like, last time I did a marathon, I, I don't think I'd have finished it if it wasn't for the fact that I knew my wife was at mile 23 because my hip went part part way through and I was like, but just keeping her, I just want to get at least to her and my sister was there as well. Just, again, that support, so, so, so much of it, I think, is, is similar. Yeah, that really resonates, that, you know, just wanting to get that, that X level, see your wife and then you see your sister and then you see them and it gives you the motivation and the support you need to make it that last extra step to get over the finish line i think we'd probably do a very bad job as founders of like of celebrating reaching the finish line because it's quite there is never really a finish line it's kind of like once you've achieved it, it doesn't feel like an achievement some some is what i used to feel so it's kind of like okay well if i've done it then it can't be that hard right what's the next what's the next marathon? Run an ultra what's the next marathon race like yeah 
That's like, it's madness. <laughs> You've just run 26 miles. Just maybe enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think as founders, you are innately wired like that or you wouldn't be a founder in the first place. It's, it's a game in a way. And every founder that I've met even the nicest ones are highly competitive. And the number one person that you're competing against is yourself. And you want to do more than you thought possible. You want to achieve the absolute most that you can. You want to, to do it in spite of the odds being against you. You know that the odds are against you when you go in. You know that most startups fail. Mm. But every founder believes that they're the one that's going to make it. That, that they can be the next Zuckerberg pre-transition to meta. Um, I think that if you don't believe that, you shouldn't be a founder, but that the mentality has changed in the last 20 years that you don't have to be this, I guess, hustle porn, you know, they call it about the, mm -hmm. I'm doing 200 hour weeks and the rest of it. We, you have to put in a lot of hours, yes, but you have to live as a human being at the same time. It's just like you said, if you wanted to run a marathon, you couldn't do that by doing all the training that you did for the marathon in one week. You have to <laughs> spread that out over six months, you know, get up to 5k, get up to 10k, etc. You can't just, oh, I'll just compress this into a week and then go run my marathon on Sunday. Mm. It, it, you need it. You need to be a sustainable human being in order to run a sustainable business. I think that's a lovely sentiment. That is, it's so true. Like a sustainable human being to run a sustainable business, and also just to be there for your team as well. Because if you're putting and and people around you, your family, if you're putting yourself under that much pressure, what are you gonna? What What are the people around you going to be experiencing? Like if you're if your team can't celebrate success, you're like, no, 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 it's the next thing, or you're, or you're chasing to the next thing, or your family are kind of, oh, I've, I've just got to do another five hours work tonight or this weekend or whatever. Like, is that really a sustainable or enjoyable race slash journey with, with the business? Yeah. I, I do need to caveat this because I know my wife is going to watch or listen to this. And yes, I realize that I do stuff on Saturdays and Sundays and on holidays when I probably shouldn't be. And I'm sorry. And I know it's not ideal. Sometimes things, as a founder, you have to go outside of your own rules. But mm -hmm. yes, as a general rule, I think that carving out some time is, is a good thing. But uh, yeah, I do tend to do at least a couple hours on a Saturday, etc. So I can't, I can't pretend to be, you know, holier than thou, etc. I, I, I don't think I, I think it's just step one is awareness I think just step one that we have the conversation around aspiration the aspiration should not be to be kind of hustle porn the aspiration should be sustainable and yes we're all human and yes we'll get pulled into stuff and yes things will come up and it's like in the same way hustle porn's not a reality the sort of the pure I will I will block off this time and outside that, I won't do any work. That's also not a reality because stuff comes up. But yeah. I think just having that awareness and that conversation, just changing the conversation, I think is so beneficial to founders. Mm -hmm. No, I agree 100%. Yeah. Why? Well, I, I think the re 
Well, what's resonating for me? What's resonating for you? Just looking back at this again, has anything has anything stood out for you? I think the, the the one thing that really surprisingly hit home is how it's only been a year since the the moment that we talked about, and I guess the whole time has been relatively short in the grand scheme of things, but it felt really long. It felt exactly like hour five going up a hill when you just want to turn around and I'll ski from three quarters of the way down uh, rather than make it to the top. And having that feeling almost every day is tough. Mm. But um, much like, I guess, your friends patting you on the back or saying, come on, let's get up to this to this ridge or, or whatnot, the support network is is really important. And looking back on it now, I'm not going to say that it seems easy, but it 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 seems shorter than it felt like in the time, and, mm. and maybe slightly less consequential. Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's a great takeaway, and I, I, it is actually just from an external perspective, it's amazing just the shift. Like you go from a bit where like the narrative was totally against you, and then when it sort of went for you, and then someone undercut it by by telling your narrative, but 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 under false pretenses. <laughs> which kind of helped yeah. to then go to sort of having a like winning a competition like a high competition having like the Bank of England chairman sort of telling your story like having an institutional round that's going well like that's such a transition in the space of just over a year yeah and um, now that we say it all like that I'm yeah I'm feeling like pretty good at the end of this podcast thanks <laughs> <laughs> well maybe that's a good place to finish that you've already feeling good Thank you so much, Kenny. That's been a really, really great chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, been fantastic. As you heard today, coaching opens up a whole range of insights and areas to explore. If you have a potential moment to revisit on the podcast or just want to learn more about coaching, book in for a 30-minute chat with me at peer-effect.com.